Hi everyone, it's Melissa Pemberton here, host of Mending Families, where we will talk all things parenting, trauma, and healing. Hey everyone, um, it is the last Mondays with Melissa um, for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, next week is going to be an episode about Halloween, and it's going to be a fun one, so you'll want to come back and listen. Um, but today I'm going to wrap up Domestic Violence Awareness Month with um, telling my own story of experiencing domestic violence and surviving that. So first, I just want to give a trigger warning that my story does involve um, abuse and from emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. So please know that this could be a hard one to listen to, but also if you have little ones in the room, I would listen to it later or put um, earbuds in so that they don't listen to this because it's not kid-friendly. Um Then the other thing is before I jump into telling my story, I just want to give you guys a couple of updates. So the first is I am launching a new service called Let's Grow and more to come on that, but it's launching on Thursday. So October 26th, if you're listening to this in real time, October 26th. Um, And so if you're on social media, you've probably already seen some little nuggets about it and some little um, hints. And, um, but if not, you need to get on social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, I'm on all of those, or you can join my email list because I have sent out some, or I will be sending out how to get involved in this service on Thursday through email. So you also want to join my email list because Black Friday is coming up. And I have some really cool things happening for Black Friday that have to do with my online course. And so if you missed out on the last round of my online online course, there's another one that will be launching in January. And with Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, and Cyber Monday, there's going to be some great deals. So make sure that you subscribe to my emails. Um, You can just go to my website, www.mendingfamilieswa.com and subscribe there. And yeah, then you'll get all of the latest and greatest. Okay, here we go, you guys. First, I want to say that I did get permission from my daughter, Haley, to share all of this. So I did want to honor that she is a part of this story. So it's not just my story, it's hers as well. And she has given me permission. Um, I also want to acknowledge that um, addiction and generational trauma played into my story and my ex-husband and how he was in relationship, whether it was with me or with my daughter or with the people he was around. Um, And so I'm aware of that. I'm aware that had there not been addiction, had there not been some generational trauma for him, had he not experienced his own abuse in his childhood and his own um, tough stuff in his childhood, um, it probably would have looked very different. I'm not giving excuses for it because I do also think that we need to hold abusers accountable and they can't just excuse away the way they treat people because of uh, um, addiction or generational trauma. I also have generational trauma. I also experienced a really hard childhood, but that doesn't excuse the way that I treated people when I was in the midst of my hard stuff. And so um, I think it's important that we recognize that, that that really played a role in how all of this went down, but also 
he is an adult that can take ownership and um, do repair and find healing and find growth. And hopefully that's where he's at now, 20 plus years later. I don't know, but um, that is, I just wanted to put that out there. Okay. So how did I meet him? Um, I worked at a gas station <laughs> in, I'm going to say the ghetto, because <laughs> that's just my personal opinion. I worked at a gas station in the ghetto, um, and it was actually a, a gas station owned by my mom's boyfriend at the time. Um, and if you listened to the episode where I told my story about my childhood and all that I went through, then you know that I have... Um, or in that time, I had a hard time loving myself. And so I was seeking out acceptance and love in all the wrong places. I had this hole. I had very low self-worth. Um, I just really was wanting to feel wanted. Um, and so I worked at this gas station and actually my sister and I and our friend lived in a house just a couple of blocks from the gas station. So we did not live in a great part of town. Um, but it was fine. We were young and thought we were invincible and whatever. It is what it is. Um, but him and his family um, lived just a few blocks away. And I had worked at the gas station for several months and never seen him. Um, I had seen his parents and his sister, but I had never seen him. And then all of a sudden he pops up and he's a smooth talker and he's flirtatious and he is noticing me and he's flirting with me. And I had no idea where he came from. I didn't know why all of a sudden he was there and he wasn't before. Um, but then one day he came in and he had roses and he handed them to me and he said, here's 11 roses. I needed to give them to you because you're the 12th rose. And um, just things like that, where it was just very much like I felt so um, seen by him and that he thought I was beautiful and that he would buy these roses for me and um, all of this. And so we, we started hanging out and I would not say that we went on a date because that was not, we did not do that. I don't think we ever went on a date. Um, he did not have a job, so he did not have the ability to take me on a date, but we hung out. And because we lived literally two blocks from each other, um, the hanging out would be mostly look like him coming over to my house and we would hang out at, at my house. Um, so I, there was definitely some red flags in the beginning that I ignored um, I found out pretty quickly that he had just gotten out of jail for robbery. Um, and mind you, he was 20, I think. I don't think he was 21 yet when we first met. Um, I think he turned 21 later. But so he was 20 and he had been in jail for several years, I believe, um, for robbery. I also found out pretty quickly that there was another girl that claimed that he was the dad of her baby, who I think was two or three at the time that I met him. Um, I also found out that he had never finished middle school, that he had never had a job. Um, and within probably the first month of knowing him, I had some of my checks stolen. And when the checks were cashed, I saw that they were him and his cousin writing the checks out to one of his friends and cashing them. This is like within the first month and I have no idea other than because I can look back and be like, why did I do that? Right. I can be just like everyone on the outside. It's like, why did you stay in that relationship? Right. But honestly, I think I just was so broken. I just was so hurting. I just had so much of my own childhood trauma that I just didn't know. Like I didn't know 
what was right, what was wrong. I didn't, um, well, I shouldn't say that. I did know right and wrong. I think I just so desperately wanted to feel loved and seen and wanted that when he apologized and said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That was so stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And the fact that I was able to tell the bank they were stolen, I didn't tell them by who. And so they gave me my money back. And so then he was like, well, you got your money. It's not like you don't have your money. Justified it. And so I stayed. Um, Within eight weeks, I was pregnant. So I barely knew him, but what I did know was a lot of red flags. And yet here I am now pregnant, still trying to convince myself that this was something I should stay in. Um, found out at the first doctor's appointment. So I think I was like four or five weeks pregnant, found out at the first doctor's appointment that he had been actively cheating on me. Um, so that was fun. And again, he never really, I mean, we just kind of like got the news and moved on. Like I cried, I was sad, but nothing changed. Um, and so kind of moved forward. I was in college at the time at Eastern and I barely passed. Let's see, that would have been winter quarter. That's the quarter I got pregnant spring quarter. I just stopped going. I was so sick. Um, I just constantly was, my morning sickness was bad. I was sick all day long. I mean, I think I only gained a total of like eight pounds my whole pregnancy because I was so sick. Um, And so I just stopped going to spring corner, ended up getting all zeros and failed college. So that was cool. Um, Which all of this, of course, adds to how I feel about myself, my low self-worth, what I feel like I deserve. Um, the fact that I don't have a voice to stand up for myself. So this is all just like kind of compiling on top of this. Um, So during that spring quarter when I'm so sick and not going to college and failing, um, I, he got arrested for car theft and um, I was so embarrassed. And so I pulled into myself. I, you know, stopped going to college at this point. I moved in with his family Um, they actually were super supportive and did help take care of me. I, um, was working and, um, trying so hard to work so that I could, you know, pay bills and keep my car and pay insurance and all of that stuff. So it was nice that they were a support to have me move in with them. Um, and so anyway, I visited him in jail. I was so embarrassed. I hated visiting him in jail. I never thought that would be something that I would ever have to do. Um, but I did. And he ended up moving to a facility here locally that is like specifically for um, giving more freedoms to um, to people who are in jail. And, um, so he ended up doing like a work release program. So he got more freedom. The visits were, um, not as monitored. They weren't like behind glass. It was like in a courtyard and you could go sit in the grass and stuff. And so, um, I went out there, I did all of that stuff. He always wanted me to bring money. So I would bring money and put money, money on his books. Um, again, never thought I would know what that is, but I do. So there we go. Um, so I always put money on his books. I always, we always bought all the snacks and food and everything because he could like take some with him. And, um, it started to get to the point where during some of those visits, he would, we would go out and sit out in the grass 
and he would guilt me into letting him touch me. Um, and I hated it. And I, I dissociated. I just, I, my memory right now of it is me watching it happen. That's how I remember it. Um, and so I would go home and I would cry and I would sit in the shower and just cry. Um, and it was awful. I hated it. I hated every moment of it. Um, if I wasn't home when he would call for, from the jail for his, you know, nightly call or whatever, he would be upset with me. Um, and he would guilt me by saying like, uh, I was the only person that actually cared about him. And if I'm not there to talk to him, then I must not care. And, um, he, like he needed me to get through. And so I needed to be there for him. Um, and so I felt like I had to be that his person to like help him. And I, it really was like helping him financially, helping him emotionally, helping him stay clean, helping him all of that stuff. Right. I felt like so much pressure because he kept saying like, he couldn't do it without me. But also there's that piece of my own trauma that I had where I just didn't know, like, that's not healthy and that it was okay to set boundaries and it wasn't my responsibility, but I didn't know that. So here I am just like in, again, these layers are kind of adding up. Um, every time that I went to the doctor for my checkup for my pregnancy, I would lie to her and say, he's out of town for work. And I remember towards the end, her saying like, you better tell him he needs to come home from work. Um, he, he needs to get back here. And he did get out of jail three days before Haley was born. And so he was there for the birth and my mom was there and his mom was there. Um, so it was, it was a positive experience. It did feel a little awkward because he did have, um, a cousin that he wanted in there, not when the baby was born, but like prior to, and, um, just, there's just some things that felt really uncomfortable that I didn't listen to my body and I didn't listen to, um, yeah, I just didn't listen to myself to say, Hey, you can say, no, you can say that doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel comfortable, but it is what it is. So, um, after Haley was born, we went back and still lived with his parents. Uh, and he was less than helpful. His parents were super great, super helpful, really involved. Um, and he just kind of went back to running and doing drugs and doing his thing. And, um, he would go missing for days. And I'm meanwhile here at his parents' house, which keep in mind, I, I still have not even known them for a year. Like it's still a very new relationship. Um, and so he started to take my car and he would be gone with my car for days. And so I relied on his parents a lot to get me to doctor's appointments or, um, I did go back to work when Haley was just four weeks old because I needed the money. Um, and so they would kind of get me to work and stuff, um, relied on them a lot, but they couldn't always. And so there were times where I would be stuck. Um, I would be stuck at work, which was nowhere near where I lived and would have to wait there until late in the night for somebody to come get me. Um, so there was one time in particular where he had taken my car and it, gone for days. He comes back and one of the windows is shattered and come to find out that he had somehow pissed off a drug dealer who then had taken a metal bat to the window. Um, and so then I'm like driving this car around with my infant child with some drug dealer out there that knows what my car looks like. And because the window is shattered, even more like obvious that it's the the car of the person that he's probably looking for. So that was scary. 
Um, and he put me in that situation and it's like, but with, with no, like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Let me fix that. I need to make this right. I need to keep you safe. I need to keep you and our baby safe. No, none of that. Um, so I ended up buying a new car and, um, for, you know, cause I wanted to feel safe. <laughs> so I bought a car and it was, it was a lemon, but it was fine. It broke down a lot. And thankfully his parents again, were there to help me. Um, but I had this new car and, um, so I can remember him. I stopped hanging out with friends and family. Listen, I was super embarrassed. I knew in my gut that what was happening was not okay. I didn't want to have to explain to people. I didn't want to have to answer the questions about why are you with him? What are you doing? You're, you can do so much better than this. You deserve more. Haley deserves more. I didn't want to have to answer all of that. Um, and so I kind of just pulled into my shell and um, didn't hang out with friends and family as much. Um, I can remember also one time that he he didn't like me to wear clothes that were, he basically wanted me to look frumpy. Um, and there was one time that I had this shirt that he thought was too revealing and he literally ripped it off of my body because he said it was too revealing. Um, just, you know, these are all like nothing physical, right? Like everything I've described so far is not physical, but do you hear these patterns of tearing me down, of making me second guess myself, of me being, um, emotionally torn down of me feeling like I, um, can't do any better. And there's just a lot of power and control great games that were being played, manipulation and guilt. And, um, if you go back and listen to my episode from two weeks ago, I did go through 13 games that abusers play and, he played a lot of them. Um, and so abuse is not always physical. So I just want to put that out there. So we'll move forward. <laughs> he ended up getting arrested again um, for a probation violation. He uh, tested positive on a random UA during one of his probation visits. Um, I did find out later that his probation officer had called CBS um, because she was concerned that I also was using but um, it didn't screen in there. Nothing came of it. I just found out about that when I went to get a job at Child Protective Services later in my life. And that was something that they asked me about and I had no idea about it. So that was kind of like another one of those things where like that was years later and this comes up for me that then is triggering to my body and sends me in this like tailspin of like, what was I doing? Like I... I put my daughter in so much danger and I didn't even see it in that moment. Um, and so, you know, domestic violence, this kind of stuff follows you. It's not like you get out and it's done. Like this was years later. And I went back to that place of like, what the heck? So um, thankfully nothing came of that, but he put me in that situation of possibly something happening. Um, so he ended up back at that facility that he was at before that allowed for work release. And he eventually came home on house arrest. And the only thing he could do was go to work. So he got a job and it was the first time that he had a job and it was pleasant. It was nice. He was also clean and sober the whole time because, you know, they were, well, two things. One, he couldn't leave the house and so he couldn't go to find all of his buddies and get his drugs and do all of that. 
Um, but also if you wanted to be at home, he had to stay clean. And so he was clean. He had a job. He was helpful. He was contributing financially. He was able to get a truck that he could drive his own truck and not use my car. Um, he still tore me down. He still guilted me into doing things and being physical, um, when I didn't want to, but I didn't know that I could say no. I thought that's just how relationships work. And so it still wasn't great, but for the most part, things were better. Um, he, because things were better, we decided to get married. And there was this part of me that because I was raised in the church, I'm saying that very loosely because it was not healthy, but, um, I did feel like because we had a kid together, we should get married. I even had, um, after we decided to get married, I, I even had a cousin, um, contact me, my cousin contact me and really question, um, my lifestyle. And ultimately that cousin and his family decided not to come to the wedding because they didn't agree, um, based on religious reasons. So that was kind of crappy, but, um, I really didn't have a lot of family support. I, the wedding was in the front yard because he was on house arrest and he couldn't leave the front yard. <laughs> so it was in the front yard. It was definitely not my dream wedding. I believe that the, um, like the jail minister, whatever they call them was the one that married us. Um, I think we paid him $10. <laughs> I bought my own wedding dress from JC Penney's on credit, bought my own wedding ring in a pawn shop. Um, and just like these things that again, are all red flags. And as I'm telling the story, I'm like, what the heck were you thinking? But I wasn't, I was in it, right? Like I was so heavy in it. I now had a kid with him. I now had, um, these layers of like, well, before I was already thinking like, I just want to feel loved and wanted. And now here I am, like, I'm not going to be able to find anybody else that's going to love and want me because now I have a kid and he would remind me of that as well. Um, so I, yeah, so, oh, I, this is another thing that as I look back and I'm like, what, it's just another red flag. Our first dance, um, him and I, our first dance at our wedding, we had not talked ahead of time about what it was going to be. And so he picked it and it was boys to men end of the road, which if you don't know that song, you should look it up because it's just ironic. Like it's basically singing about breaking up. So, but that was our wedding song. So <laughs> kind of funny. Um, okay. So now we're married and he gets off, a, off of house arrest. Um, and it wasn't long before he was back running and using again, um, he lost his job. His truck was then repoed because he couldn't pay it. He was mad at me because I wouldn't pay to prevent it from being repoed, but honestly, I couldn't afford it. Um, and then I found out he was cheating on me again. And this time it was in his parents' home while we were at work and he didn't work. And so, um, and so he was cheating on me in the house that we lived in. I did threaten to leave him at one point during that. Um, and he yelled at me, told me he would take Haley, that he would never let me take Haley from him. So I could never leave. And if I did try and leave, he would take Haley and I could never take her from him. And I believed him and I believed him for, for too long. And, um, 
But again, it's just that like he had the power in that relationship, you guys. He really did. Even though I look back and I I can see like how much I had going for myself, he really did have the power. Um, So I got an apartment on housing. And so my rent was super cheap. And it was it was really helpful um, for me to be out of his parents' home, even though they were they were supportive and they were great. I also still it didn't feel comfortable there. And so I was now in my own apartment. I did lie to housing about being married because I would have then had to have him on the housing voucher and he had a criminal history. So it it made complications. You see how people lie in abusive relationships, right? Because of stuff like this. Um, I needed housing for me and Haley. And so, yes, I'm going to lie about being married. Um, so I'm now in housing, although now he still is finding his way to move in with us, even though I'd said he couldn't, um, he's there now. And he went back to taking my car for days. Um, there was one time that he had brought the car back and I found drug paraphernalia in my jock box of my car. So again, like this is the car that his wife and his child are driving around in. And these are the things he's doing. Um, he stole my debit card one time and drained my bank account. And his cousin, a different cousin, lied for him, covered it up, tried to cover it up. But um, luckily, I was able to get that money back again because I claimed that I I, uh, filed a claim that it had been stolen. Um, But again, lied and said I didn't know who. So um, he was kind of in and out at that apartment. He would be home for a couple of days, gone for a couple of days. And there was one day that... um, I, I worked a really early shift. And so I would usually take Haley to his parents in the morning and then they would take her to daycare. And there was one day that he was like, no, you just leave her here with me. Cause I'm her dad. And it didn't feel right. And I should not have done it, but I did. And I came home to the locked door. I couldn't get into the apartment, but I could hear Haley crying and she was less than one. Um, I don't know exactly how old, but she was not one yet. So I don't know, probably eight, nine months old. And I hear her crying and, um, I'm pounding on the door. I'm trying to figure out how to get in. He's not coming to the door. And it's in that moment that I'm like, I can't even go ask the landlord to help me get in because then I have to say that I have him living here and it adds this whole layer and I didn't want to lose my housing. And so, I don't, I'm not really sure how, but eventually he came to the door and I was able to get Haley and scoop her up. And, um, the sub that, you know, there's, there's holes in, I'm not really sure what happened at that point. If I was upset or if I just was like, so thankful to have Haley safe and know that she was okay. But it's moments like those that you can see the layers of abuse, the layers of power and control coming into play. Um, and so I moved out of that apartment. It was too hard to try and kind of hold together that charade of not being married. And so I got a house and, um, again, I lied to that landlord about being married, mostly just because I didn't want to have to put him on the application. Um, and he moved in with us. He would again, take my car for days at a time. Um, he again stole money. And at one point I had to ask his parents for help paying the rent because he had taken the rent money and they helped me, but they also advised that I needed to start sleeping with my purse by my head, um, to 
prevent that from happening. So it felt very shameful, like you should have known better type of a thing. Um, So that was kind of hard. And I just, I kept trying to get him to want to stay home. I kept trying to get him to not want to go running and keep using. Um, And there was one night that he was doing well and he was home. And then some of his buddies and his cousins showed up in the parking lot across the street and he went out there. And I just remember running out there after him, begging him to stay home. I wanted him to stay home so badly. Um, And he pushed me to the ground, to the concrete and um, it hurt. And all of his friends and him just laughed. They, I remember him pointing and laughing. Um, and that was the first time that it got physical. And then um, the next time was the last time. And the next time was, I, I told this story in several episodes ago when I told my story from my childhood on. So I'm just going to give little um, nuggets from it. You can go back and listen to the whole thing. But um, the... The next time that he was physical and the last time that he was physical involved Haley. He was trying to take my car again. I had Haley in my arms and I was not going to let him do it. I knew that if he took the car, he'd be gone and I needed the car for work and to, you know, get around. And so I held on to my purse. I actually had it crossbody and I'm holding Haley and he tried to pull my purse off of me. And so it kind of like, um, didn't choke me, like pulled on my neck a little bit and, Haley's crying. I'm crying. He grabs Haley out of my hands. I'm screaming to try and get her back because I just, I, you think the worst, like what if he takes her and I never see her again? Um, and so I was finally able to get her back into my arms and that's when he twisted my arm behind my back and pinned me to the ground while I'm holding her. Um, I was able to get away from that. I, and Haley and I were able to get away. I, we drove off I called his parents and asked for help. They told me it was not their problem that I needed to, um, I don't remember the exact words and I don't remember which one said it, if it was both of them or just one of them. Um, But to be honest, they probably were tired too. I mean, they were dealing with a lot from him all the time. Um, But I basically was told that I needed to stop instigating things. Um, And so it made me feel like, again, it was my fault. So I, um, we drove off, we left, we stayed away for a couple of hours, parked in a parking lot. I cried, Haley fell asleep. And when I went back, he was gone, but the house was trashed. There were things thrown all over, broken, um, ransacked. It was just trashed. Um, And so I left and went and stayed with my mom. Um, And, you know, several, probably two years later, I can, I had continual pain in my wrist from that day forward. And so, um, and immediately there was a bump there that night. Um, but I ignored it because again, if I go to the doctor, what am I going to tell him that it's injured because my husband pinned me to the ground with my arm behind my back? Like, okay, I could tell him that, but then what? there's, there's all of this stuff that runs through your mind of like, then the police are going to be called. And what if they don't believe me? And what if then CPS is called and they take Haley and, you know, there's all this, these layers. So I didn't do anything about it. And then a year or two of having this pain, I finally went in and had an x-ray and it had been broken and healed incorrectly. So then I had to wear a brace for quite a while to try and um, correct it. And for the most part, it's fine now, but every once in a while it hurts. And again, it's another one of those reminders of 
that life that I lived, of the pain that I lived, of the being under in that abusive relationship. It's that reminder that my body holds on to. Um, so it doesn't end when you leave the situation. There's still things that can come up years later. Um, so I moved into a new place at that point. Um, I, there was one night that I was at my mom's house. We, we spent a lot of time with my mom at that point. My mom and I had healed our relationship. She was in a better place. She was super helpful. Um, and I was there and a friend called me and said, Hey, your ex just called and threatened me and said that I needed to stop contacting you. What is going on? And I was like, I have no idea because they don't even know each other. And so I had no idea how that could even happen. So then I would go home and I see that my back door had been kicked and there were feet print on my washing machine and the window right above it was open. So like somebody had climbed out of that window. I went upstairs and realized that my bedroom had been ransacked. The the My underwear drawer had been dumped on my bed. All of the other drawers were open and had gone through. My shoes were dumped out. Um, and so then I had this thought, like, I wonder if the, the friend that was called was from my caller ID. And so I went and looked and there was a notepad next to my phone. And you know, when you write on a piece of paper, if you write hard enough, then when you rip that paper off, you can still see the imprint on the next page. Well, that's what it was. And I could see that phone numbers from my caller ID had been written down and it was in my ex's handwriting. So I knew right away that that is how he got my friend's number and he had been in my home. So um, I filed a no contact order. You would think I would have done that after the last incident, but I didn't. It was this. Um, and I filed a con- no contact order and a parenting plan asking for supervised visits. He tried to broke into my home another time. I called the police again. Um, and during the court process, he would call me a lot. He would cry about missing me, missing Haley. He would, um, you know, promise all the things and that I was the best thing that he ever had in his life. He didn't want to lose me. He convinced me one time, um, to, to come visit him or to come meet him at a school parking lot. So it it was a public place. He wouldn't do anything. He just wanted to see me and see Haley and out of guilt, I went. And then I found out that he actually had somebody somewhere taking pictures to show that I must not have been afraid and I must not need the no contact order because I'm willing to meet up with him. Um, Ultimately, the no contact order was granted and the parenting plan was supervised. It was granted. And by this point, Haley was probably about 18 months old. And so the visits, supervised visits were every Saturday and then every Tuesday. And they lasted until she was three. And the reason they stopped when she was three is because I found out that one of his relatives who were supposed to be supervising the visits ended up in treatment for drug abuse. And also that Haley's dad had not been attending these visits that were supposed to be supervised by this relative who turns out was actually using. Um, So I filed with the courts for the visits to stop immediately, and that was granted. Um, And so that was the last time when she was three that she had actually court ordered visits. And, um, I will say though, that I still allowed her to see them. There were times that I would still take her to the park and we would meet for birthday parties. And she's got, you know, other siblings now from her dad's side of the family. Um, and we would go to their birthday parties at the park. And so I didn't keep her from them. I kept her safe. And, um, 
I never talked poorly of her family to Haley. I actually tried my best to always share with Haley the positive attributes from her bio dad that, and not the hard stuff. I would talk about how she got his laugh. I would talk about how she got his cute little ears. I would talk about how she got his perfect eyebrows <laughs> that she doesn't ever really have to pluck because they're just these perfect eyebrows. I would talk about how she got his beautiful curly blonde hair. And I didn't share with her the hard stuff until she was much older and she actually needed to know because she was involved in all of that and her body was remembering a lot of that. So she's in her own therapy now. She's doing her own healing. She's doing her own hard work. And I still find myself, as I've mentioned several times throughout sharing this, I still find myself triggered at times. And although I've done EMDR and it's helped significantly so much, um, I still have moments that my body remembers stuff and I need to go back and maybe do some more EMDR with my therapist or maybe just be able to um, talk through things or process again with my therapist. I still have moments that my body remembers the abuse and the control. It doesn't stop. This was over 20 years ago. Um, and so, you know, that's the gist of my story. I now am married to my amazing husband, John, and we've been married for 15 years. Um, we have four beautiful children. He did adopt Haley when she was 14. That was a beautiful day. But again, even through adoption, there still is hard stuff. And she, um, it's, it's a work in progress. And, um, we have two daughters, John and I have two daughters biologically together, and then we've adopted our son as well. So we have so much love in our family, but also we're not, um, naive to know that all of us have stuff from our, you know, Haley's got stuff. I have stuff. Um, our, our daughters have stuff from what they have lived through and experienced with how I was before I got therapy, before I did my healing. And my husband also experienced a lot of hard stuff with how I was triggered by him from nothing he even did in the early years of our marriage. So there's a lot of stuff. And so here's where I'm going to put a plug for therapy. Therapy is important. Therapy is what helps us grow and heal and keep moving forward. And we can do hard stuff. We really can. Um, so I love what I do now. I love that I get to be a parent coach to help others find their own healing and move forward from their own hard stuff. I love that I get to share my story and say, look, look at what I came from. Look at what I've experienced. And if I can do it, so can you. And so I hope that you feel encouraged by this. Um, if you have questions or you want to process anything with me, my I am an open book. You can email me, Melissa at mendingfamilieswa.com. I'd be happy to get together or chat or you know, talk, talk with you. And um, yeah, follow me on on social media as well. It's super fun to do some of those lighthearted things on social media um, where I just share tips and tricks and ideas about parenting and healing from trauma and um, just kind of what our body holds on to and how we can do better for our future generations. So, okay, you guys, that's it for today. Next week, I have a fun Halloween um, episode in store for you. So come back for that and enjoy the rest of your week. Bye friends. I'm so excited that you found this podcast and I hope you join me every week as you go through your own journey towards healing. One thing I truly believe in is that trauma awareness is so important to our future generations. 
and it starts with you.